Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, after this, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Hinnom and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron and the men of Judah came there and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So I talked to you last week about the fact that if David is going to come back in the land to become king, this is the perfect gateway into the land of Judah. Why? Because it's his tribe right? He is from the line of Judah. So he is coming in the gate, basically. That is the closest familial um, connection that he has. He is from the tribe of Judah. He's also in good standing with the chiefs, the tribal chiefs. Why? What has he been doing all along? Sending them goods. Okay. So he's been doing that. The, and Hebron is basically the capital in that area. And it was also Levitical city. And so that is a city of priests. I think we talked about that last time. Um, Saul killed all the priests at Nob, so I would not imagine on election day the priests are going to show up on Saul's behalf. So here David comes back into the land of Israel. He is in the land of Judah, the territory of Judah, and now all of that part anoint David as their king. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh, And said to them, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So basically, David has found out what Jabesh did. And do you remember who they are? They're loyal to Saul because Saul saved their necks. That was his very first victory when he became king, when he slaughtered the Ammonites who were threatening to gouge out all their right eyes. And he went in and he saved them. So Jabesh has always had a loyalty to King Saul. They hear about what the Philistines have done to the bodies of Saul and his sons. They risk their lives. They go at night through Philistine territory to get the bodies off. And they take them back and they basically bury the bodies, um, Jewish style, in in respect to Saul and his sons. And so David literally is thanking them. And I think he means it because we know that David has a love for Saul's family. He always has. And so he actually thanks them. But then he also says, okay, be strong. I know you've lost your king, but I want you to know that I'm going to protect you just like Saul would protect you. And just so you know, the land of Judah has anointed me. Okay, so don't forget, it's election time. You need to be thinking about this. Um, and so he is letting them know that he will be loyal to them. He appreciates them and that he has been anointed king over Judah. It then goes on to say, and Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanam. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. 
Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Okay, so we need to remember that Abner was Saul's cousin. He was the commander of his army, right? And so now that Saul has died, what does he do? He wants to stay in power. He wants to keep all of the kingdom, all of this nation under Saul. And so what he does is he goes and finds an heir to Saul, Ishbosheth, which I think I told you last time, his name means man of shame, which makes you wonder, is that talking about his character or is it talking about his birth? Like, where's he been? Why was he not in the battle with Jonathan and the other sons? Like, where is he? It makes me kind of question if he was an illegitimate son that many did not know about, but Abner did, his cousin, his commander. And so in order to keep the power under the house of Saul, and especially under whose power? His power. He goes and finds Ishbosheth, and he takes him like a puppet throughout the land of Israel so that the other tribes honor him as king. But who is ultimately running the show? Abner, okay? Um, verse 12, Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Ahanam to Gibeon. Did I show you that on the map last time? Okay, right at the border of Judah and Benjamin. And Joab and the servants of David went out, met them at the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down, the one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete for us. And Joab said, let them rise. Then they arose and passed over by number, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helketh, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Do we talk about this? Do you remember this? No? I've taught this so many times, I don't remember who I've taught it to. Okay, so basically, these are brethren. These are all Israelites. They all came from who? Who's the father of the 12 tribes? Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel, who had 12 sons, right? They're all one big family. But right now, um, the tribe of Judah has anointed David, and basically the rest of them, Ishbosheth. So right now, this same family basically has shown up at two sides. Why? Abner is working his way down with his power into the land of Judah. David is not dumb. He has scouts throughout the land knowing what is going on. He sees a force coming his way. He send, sends his force. They are on each side of the spring or the, the pool of Gibeon. Isn't that interesting? How many times, even as brethren, we do the us and them, let's take sides. I mean, our whole world operates that way today. I think I told you about the, the little traps that people set for me, right? Through email, I told you this. Shannon, I uh, hear you're coming to our city to speak. Um, can, I've been doing a little research, and I would like to know what your stance is on women teaching men. Okay, why? Why do you want to know that? See, to me, right away, I go, aha, this is someone who's trying to figure out what camp I'm in. And when someone has the motive 
of trying to figure out what camp you're in. They've already know what camp they're in. And so they're trying to, are you with me or are you what? Against me. And the funny thing is, it's like, I mean, I could sit down and have a conversation with her about how I view the scripture on that matter, but that's not really what she's after. She's trying to determine if I'm in her camp. If I'm not in her camp, I'm not worthy to come here speak. Because if I don't agree with you on everything, then I don't want to listen to you about anything. And, you know, all my events are for women. So the question is a little sketch to begin with, right? That's just a little bit. They do it on all kinds of topics. You can imagine what the topics are. And they're trying to determine. We do it in politics every day. We can't even have a conversation about anything because we have chosen camps. And we literally are across from one another. And look what happens. They go to war. They fight exactly the same. Does that sound familiar? They use the same verbiage, us and them, good and evil. Um, you know, and look what they do. Immediately, they, they all have the same tactic. Why? They're all Israelites. Saul's men have been trained. Where, I mean, David's men have been trained. Where was David trained? With Saul, right? So they grab each other by the head and they immediately stab each other in their gut and they die. Oh, that worked. All that did is instigate a war on the spot and it says that they broke out in a massive war right there. And basically, David's men kicked butt and took names. Okay? David's men are bad to the bone. Okay? These become the mighty men of David and that's what starts. Um, it says in verse 18... Oh, by the way, that, play, that place means Slaughter Park. Hey, baby, let's go hang out at Slaughter Park. Right? That's a bad memory right there. I just wonder sometimes in some, some areas if we would just call it, ooh, that was Slaughter Park right there. And the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and I'm going to call him Ace because look at his name. I'm not going to mess it up. It could be inappropriate. I don't know if I can say that. So now Ace was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Ace pursued Abner. So who's Ace? Look there. Whose brother is he? Joab. And Joab is the commander of David's army. I want y'all to get this straight because this is important. David's commander, his right-hand man is who? Joab. Saul's, now Ishbosheth's right-hand man is who? Abner. Okay. So Joab's brother Ace pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is that you, Ace? And he answered, It is I. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right hand or to the left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Ace would not turn aside from following him. So this tells us that Ace is one fast dude. I picture him, I think, because he was mentioned last. He's the younger brother. He has a lot to prove. He has not been in, in war like Joab has or uh, the other brother. I forgot his name. Hold on. Abishai. And so he kind of has something to prove. He's this younger brother, and he is fast as lightning, and he is on Abner's tail. And Abner is like, who is still following me? Like, this dude is fast. I can't get rid of him. Oh, Ace, is that you behind me? See, they know each other. 
And he's like, yeah, he said, dude, you better turn to the right or to the left and you better go fight someone your own size. You need to go attack one of these, my younger men, because what? I'm too much for you. And listen to his motive. He says to him again in verse 22, turn aside from following me. Why should I take you to the ground? And then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. So Abner's not worried about Ace. He knows he can take him. He knows he's young and he has all kinds of drive, but he does not have the experience. But he knows if he takes him out, who is he going to have to face? Joab, now we're talking. Okay, because now Joab is a force for Abner, but look what happens. He won't. It says, therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell there and died. They still fight that way in some parts of Asia today. So basically he is pursuing, coming, approaching him. And Abner does one quick like top gun move where he puts it in reverse and he stops and Ace doesn't. And what happens? He runs right into the butt of that spear and it comes out of his back and he drops dead. Sad. Here you have three brothers on which was the commander of David's army. Joab's brother Ace was extremely fast, but he was determined to catch Abner. He bit off more than he could chew. I'm going to tell you right now. He had a lot of determination, but not a lot of experience. And all who come to the place, isn't that just young right there when you think of that? Don't you love young people? Their passion is so awesome. We've forgotten. We've forgotten what it's like. You need to hang out with them because they make you remember. But yet there is some, there's a little bit of naivete in there because they don't really know what it's going to be like, but you can't tell them. They have to learn how we learned through experience, right? You just hope they don't end up with a spear coming out of their back, that it's just, you know, you learn, but man, their courage is awesome. That's why I think when you look at David and Goliath, David had young man courage. He didn't have a whole lot to lose. It's, it's hard to go out and face a Goliath when everybody in the world's counting on you. He says, and all who came to the place where Ace had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. I want you to know, I think they did not see. They were going another route. I think some followed Ace, and I think Abishai and Joab went another direction with their men to go. I don't think they have any idea that he is dead yet. Okay, so the people with Ace are stunned by what's happening, but Abishai... And Joab are still going. So it says, Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end of this will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? Oh, now we're brothers, I would say. And Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until morning. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. Do you see the difference between Joab and his younger brother? Joab has gotten to the place where Abner has already gotten to this hill 
The Benjamites have joined him now. So now he has backup. Do you understand? He has high territory. He has the, the perfect place to be. And he has full backup. He's no longer running. He's ready. And he is saying to David, as David is pursuing, you need to stop pursuing. Because now, if you continue, this bloodbath is just going to get worse. And what does Joab do? He realizes the situation that they are in is not great for his men. And so he thinks, okay, well, we'll live to fight another day. And he turns around. Why? Because he has wisdom. He has experience. He has no idea. Now, I'm going to tell you this. This is why I think he went another direction. Because if he'd have known his brother was laying on the ground with a spear coming out his back, I'm not sure any wisdom would have stopped the pursuit. But he stops. In verse 29, it says, And Abner and his men went all that night through Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, marching the whole morning. They came to Mahanam. Why did they spend the whole day marching? Why did they not stop? Why do you think? What is he worried about? What is Abner worried about? He's worried. He knows what happened. He's worried now Joab is going to go back and realize what happened. His brother got killed. What's Joab going to do? Turn his fanny around and come after him. So he gets out of that area while he can. And it says, Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides A. So David lost how many? 20. But the servants of David had struck down 360 Benjamites from Abner. And they took up Ace and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night that day. And the day broke upon them at Hebron. So picture it. Stop for a minute. They've lost their baby brother in war. This took time. You can imagine these warriors coming down and realizing what happened. And they are picking up those that are dead. They're gathering. And amongst them is their baby brother. And they mourn like you can only picture a warrior mourning. And they take his body back home. And they spend that time and they mourn over him and they bury. And then what do they do? Can't you see it? For a moment, the warrior cried. And then what? Mount up. It's on. And they mount up and they march all night to get back to David. Chapter 3. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Why do you think? Well, yeah, they lost a lot of men, but think about it. If this war went long, 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 okay, on one side, David, David's a really strong leader. Come on, he's been running for his life for years right? He's strong. He knows how to lead. Where did he, he, he learned all that in the wilderness. He knew exactly when to fight. He knew when not to. He knows the whole land like the back of his hand. He's hidden in every nook and cranny there is. He knows it all, but he's in charge and there's no question. He's in charge. What's happening over here? Over here, you've got this mealy mouth, mouth little weak king who has the bloodline and then you've got Abner who's running everything. How do you think that works over long periods of time? When Abner is really the boss and he's treating 
the king, right, just kind of pushing him off, kind of handling him. What happens to most entitled, spoiled brats who have been given a, a powerful position, but yet the position has no power? They start to what? Buck against the system, cause a little trouble. So Abner's trying to run a country and appease Ishbosheth all at the same time. Listen, who's running the country? Over here, there's no doubt. David has a plan and they follow David over here over time. This starts to kind of dwindle. And so they, David's getting stronger and stronger. The house of Saul is getting weaker and weaker. Listen to this. And sons were born to David at Hebron. These are good times, I guess. His firstborn was Ammon of Ohinam of Jezreel. Okay, so that's his second wife. Who's his first? It's a boy named Michael. Okay, Michael is whose daughter? Saul's daughter. Why, why does he not have her? Right, because when he escaped, right, out her window, eventually she was given to another man. Why? Why do you think? David's a fugitive. Saul gives her wife to another man in order to provoke him into some kind of action so that, number one, he could live into what Saul's saying about him, that he's a betrayer, that he's a killer, he's a traitor, all that stuff, but also so that Saul might have the chance to kill him when he tries to get his wife back, which that never happened. So Michael was his first. He does not have her. She's been given to someone else. This one is his second. And then it says he had a son by the name of Chiliab, which in 1 Chronicles 3.1, his name is also Daniel. Don't ask me how, the, I mean, Daniel, Chiliab, I don't know. Don't ask me that. Um, but that is Abigail's son. Who's that? The widow of Nabal, the fool, right? Do you remember? After Samuel died and David was so depressed and then that fool just, insulted him and David was about to just go kill everybody in sight because he was out of his stinking mind and so Abigail being the smart woman she was brought him some treats because he's a little hangry he's been out in the wilderness and talked him off the ledge and then the ball dropped dead and so David's like I'm gonna get me that girl and so then he marries Abigail and so he has this son with her he's a busy boy then the third, Absalom, the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. You're like, what? And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth, it goes on. I want to point out some things to you. Okay, Mekah, do you see that? She's the daughter of who? The king of Geshur. Did I show you a map last time? Hold on, let me see if I have it. I may not have it. I don't think I did. Gesher, okay, if you're looking at the map, last time I showed you that map of Israel and Judah's down here, and Ishbosheth has all the other region. Outside of Israelite territory to the north is Gesher. So David's down here. Gesher is on the other side of all the territory of Ishbosheth. Let me ask you, why, when you wanted to have a strong ally in the north, how are you going to forge those two things together? Marry the king's daughter. This is a political move, all right? And what is very interesting is that after this political move, they have Absalom. If you know the story in the future, like so he did this to keep peace, right? But in the future, Absalom is going to be the son who tries to take over his kingdom. That's very ironic. That's just a little 411 for you. 
Okay, bottom line, these are barbaric times. Don't make these people today Christians. Okay, they're sleeping with everybody. They're marrying everybody. They're being who they are in that culture. The Bible is a book of history. It tells the story like it is. It's not saying this is how we need to be behaving, but it is saying this is what they were like. And aren't we glad that we know it? Because, I mean, anytime God uses mankind, we're a hot mess. There's no perfection, right? He uses us broken people. How in the world he gets his, his plan from point A to point B, and he uses all of this in between? I have no idea, right? But I'm counting on him. Because point A is I believe in you, Jesus, for me. And point B is I'm going to see him face to face one day. And the in-between, I'm just telling you, I'm hanging on for dear life, okay? We're just hanging on for dear life. So verse 6, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of... I don't know who that is, Ai or Ahai or whatever. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Abner's about to lose his mind. Abner, it says, this whole time is making himself what? Strong, okay? He is the leader. He is setting himself up over the elders, over the tribe of Benjamin. He's working the land. He's keeping this mess together. He is running the entire land of Israel. That is what is happening. And now Ishbosheth is going to accuse him of sleeping with one of Saul's concubines, right? And you're like, who cares? Well, an act of disrespect, one of the ways someone shows that they are disrespecting the king or the authority and that it is a sign that they are taking over the kingdom is to sleep with their concubines. Later on, that's going to make sense to you because when Absalom tries to take over David's kingdom, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to sleep with his concubines on top of the roof where everybody can see. <laughs> that's not how we show respect, disrespect, <laughs> but I'm just saying. But bottom line, Abner loses his mind because here he is literally running the country and this little mealy mouth weakling of a king in front of everybody is stirring up problems for him, saying that, look at him. He's just trying to take over the kingdom. He's sleeping with my father's concubine. And listen to what Abner does. It says, and Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, am I a dog's head of Judah? Now, I would love to come up with what I think that means today. <laughs> But I sat there and I thought, am I a dog's head of Judah? I don't know. But whatever it is, it probably would not be appropriate to put on film. It says, to this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman? Oh, can't you just hear how mad he is? God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba and Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. I bet he did, right? What is he saying? Are you kidding me? You little punk. 
I went and found you, saved your ever-living life, because the majority of the time, if a king comes in and takes over a kingdom, the first thing he does is kill the entire family of the king that was there before. And so I went and found you. Nobody knew about you, but, and I made you king over all this land. And now you're going to sit back. I've been faithful to you, your father's kingdom, everything. I've kept the same policies. I've kept the same people in leadership. And now you're going to accuse me of not being faithful and sleeping with his concubine. You know what's going to happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen. Fine. The kingdom follows me anyway. I'm going to do what probably should have been done in the first place. I am going to give it all to what? David. But think about it. Why is he doing that? Things are starting to crumble around him. He's losing a grip. He's losing power. He better do something. He better do something to keep his power because now all this whispering is around of what is going to happen to the kingdom. Do y'all find this interesting? Me too. I just love it. It's like a murder mystery. (laughs) Verse 12, And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michael, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That makes me laugh because how many did he really get? See, I should give y'all tests just like I did my 200. David was an overachiever. You tell him 100, he brings you 200, right? But he's being humble right here. He says 100. It says, And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband. And but her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way. Then Abner said to him, Go return. And he returned. Okay, let me set this up. So Abner sends, he goes and he sends messengers to David and says, Okay, dude, let's be honest. Who do the people follow? Who are they loyal to? Ishbosheth? I think not. They're following me. I have them eaten out of my hands. All of the uh, chiefs listen to me. The tribe of Benjamin's going to be a problem, but I got this. Um, so I'm telling you, if you make a covenant with me, I'll bring them all over. You see the political thing? Listen, if you bring me in your campaign, oh my gosh, I'm going to bring you the whole West Coast. All these votes are going to come with me. And so David says, okay. And then he says, This is how I'm going to know you're serious. Let's see how powerful you really are. I want who? Michael. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think he's been pining over Michael? He's got more women he knows what to do with, right? Why do you think he wants Michael? Well, I think she's his, and, you know, that could be a sticking point. And, you know, he could love her to pieces, as far as I know. But whose daughter is she? Saul. So in a political sense, why is this so smart? It will unite the kingdom because it is basically bringing that family back together, that influence, okay? So he wants her. The sad part is her husband. (laughs) Y'all, she found someone who was crazy about her. And I'm going to tell you why her dad wasn't. 
right? He was willing just to give her off, you know, for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines trying to get David to die and he wouldn't die. So he finally had to give her to him. But she finally found someone who adores her and they go and take her away. And Abner is having no part of it. He's like, dude, this is about the country. Take one for the team. Like, sorry about it, but this is like life or death. We got to unify this country under David. You know, I'm sorry, but she wasn't your wife. You knew that from the beginning. This was sketchy. She was, she was married to the giant killer. Did you real? I mean, I don't know, but Abner tells him, go home. And he what? Yeah, you don't mess with Abner. So there we go. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, verse 17. <laughs> For some time, I had someone the other day go, I wish you were sitting beside me when I read the Bible. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Because can't you picture it? They're reading it in this place. And I go, do you see what happens? Look, you know, this whole, but it's so awesome. It says, for some time past, you have been seeking David as king over you. So Abner goes to the elders and says this. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought. Ooh, he's politicking. Number one, what does he know? What does everybody know? God has chosen who? David. They all know it. They're fighting against it. They want their own power. They want it to stay in their hands. But now he's like, okay, this is not working for me, so I better jump ship to the other side so I can keep power. So he goes and lobbies. Can't you see it? Watching West Wing right now. And he goes to all the different elders. You know all along you've been wanting David to be your king. I heard you say that not too long ago, that you're really sure that that's what should have happened and, and this whole thing. And I'm telling you, I've been talking you out of it, but you're right. He should be. I have finally seen. This needs to happen. We need to make David king. And why do you think he then went separately to the tribe of Benjamin? Who's from the tribe of Benjamin? Saul. Do you think the tribe of Benjamin wants to let go of that power? No. And so I have no idea what he said to them to get them to jump ship. But you can bet your bottom dollar he said something and he promised them something. I'm going to suggest that to you, okay? But he goes back and it says, he told David, it's all taken care of. It's done. Um, then it says, when Abner came, am I right? I didn't number my pages. Yeah. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Everything's going great. Done deal. Handshake. They signed the treaty, had dinner. Wonderful. Verse 22. Ooh. And then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid. Where has Joab been? Fighting because he's the commander. He comes back and it says, bringing much of the spoil with them. So they've been successful. And Abner was not with David at Hebron for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told to Joab, 
Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Abner came to you? Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're going in to know all that you are doing. He is ticked. Here is his right-hand man. He doesn't know any of this. He's been out fighting for King David, being loyal and actually doing well. And he comes back and finds out that he has just made a treaty with their greatest enemy, Abner. Come on, he knew Abner. He's been with David all along. They've been running from Abner for years. Abner's the one that couldn't even do his job and keep Saul safe because David stood right over Saul in the middle of the camp. Joab can't stand Abner. He is like, this is one power-hungry dude. There is something not right. You don't know all the story. Something must be a mess over there or he's spying because you cannot trust him. And bottom line, what? He killed my brother. He killed my brother. And you let him come in here. You made a treaty with him and let him leave in peace. Man, he just couldn't, he just couldn't get it. Verse 26, when Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner and they brought him back from the cistern of Sarah. So he's barely gotten out. He's having a little drink on the way and they call him back. They trick him. And they, but David didn't know it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Ace, his brother. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord, for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, made it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one that has a discharge or who is leprous, or who holds a spindle, or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So a Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Ace to death in the battle of Gibeon. Are you kidding? So Abner basically gets out. They trick him to come back. Joab meets him out there and is going to talk to him. Instead, murders him in the street. David is like, what have you done? Do you understand what you've done? We had the kingdom united it was done. The treaty is not just about you. It's about the kingdom. And then David goes off in a rant that would be so full of explicatives that you cannot even imagine. I mean, you want to talk cursing for me to say, I hope that there is always someone in your family that has a discharge. That's rude. Like, I, don't, I don't even know what all that would be. You, you know, you piece of stuff. I mean, it would not be good. Okay. And he is saying, listen, you have really gotten us in a bad situation. And he goes, I'm going to make it known 100% that I had nothing to do with this. And I'm telling you from this moment on, David becomes Olivia Pope in scandal. Okay. He starts to cover up this situation. He writes the narrative and David is one good actor. He's a three on the Enneagram, man. He can come in and sing and dance and tap and do whatever's necessary, right? How do I know that? Well, last time he acted like he was insane to get out of a pickle. So this time, let's see what he does. 
It says, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. I'm telling you what, David's like, we got to do this and we got to do this good, people. You better rip those clothes and put ash on your forehead and you better walk around like you just lost your best friend. We need to show outward grief for the death of Abner. And not only that, it says that King David followed the casket. He made his presence known. And you can imagine he looked the same. They buried Abner at Hebron, so they did everything respectable. This was a big deal. It was on national television. Everybody (laughs) saw it. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. He would have probably been hired as one of the famous mourners in the New Testament, that you would hire mourners to wail. You would not hire me because I don't have that emotion. But, you know, they wailed. So here he is, he's weeping, and he also writes Abner a lament. Remember how good at laments he is? It says, And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. You're like, what the heck does that mean? In other words, what they tried to put out there is that, oh my gosh, Abner has been sent, he's done three tours in Iraq and came back home and just got killed in the street, just killed in a brawl. Like, can you believe that? What luck? How terrible. This man who was a hero, who went and was in battle and just a formidable warrior, and he just died in the street. We have no idea who did it. Somebody just killed him in the street. And David is lamenting, and this is the story they're putting out there. And all the people wept again over him. And then all the people came to persuade David to eat while it was yet day. But David, he probably was fasting, but I'm not sure he was fasting out of grief. He's fasting that this narrative worked because the kingdom depended on it. But David swore saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And I'm sure David was sick about the whole, I mean, the whole murder and everything. I don't want to act like he's callous. And all the people took notice of it and it pleased them as everything that the king did pleased them. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put him to death. So did it work? Mm-hmm. And the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and great man has fallen this day in Israel? And so he, he recognized what all Abner had done for Saul. And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zerai and more severe than I, the Lord repaid the evildoer according to his wickedness. He's like, listen, this is not on me. This is on Joab and Abishai. They're going to have to deal with God over this one. The end, it worked, right? Let me introduce the next chapter to you. We just have a little time. Do you have your Bible open? Let me see chapter four. It says, when Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage and all Israel became alarmed. Yeah, wouldn't you? Here's Ishbosheth and the man that's running the place telling him what to do, and everybody respects him. Now he's gone. Listen, when a man has put you in office and that man is gone, it's scary. You know, that can happen with all of us because the bottom line is God did not call him to be the king. 
And so he did not have that assurance. A man put him there. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes when you're in ministry, I mean, if you think about this, sometimes you can have big donors that keep you in ministry. And you can get a little wobbly if you think that donor's not going to donate anymore or whatever. But the bottom line is what? What would keep you faithful? That person didn't put me in ministry. They're not, I appreciate it. This isn't my story, but I'm telling you, um, I appreciate it, but who put me there? God, he owns cattle on a thousand hills. He will, he'll handle it. And you have to trust that. But man, if you trust in man, anything can change in a moment. The man that is running this show now is gone. What are you going to do? Because you shouldn't have been there in the first place. It wasn't your calling. You aren't to be anointed king. And not only are you shaking in your boots, but the people who are following you, because what did they know? They knew you weren't the one either. And so now everybody's starting to eat each other. Have you ever been in an environment where the top dog leaves and the whole place starts to eat each other? I taught in Christian school for 25 years. Do you know how many times I've seen this situation? (laughs) The big guy leaves. It's the hottest mess you've ever seen because everybody starts to get insecure and what's going to happen and then it's all about me and then it's not about we anymore and it's a hard situation and that is what is happening here and it goes on to say now Saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands one was named I don't know how to say these names Bana and the other Rechab <laughs> people are listening to me it's ridiculous They were sons of whoever that is, and they were considered part of Benjamin. Here's what happened. (laughs) Uh, That's all we know so far. Okay, one thing. Do you see verse, is that four, where it talks about uh, Jonathan's son of Saul had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Do you see that? Okay, what do you notice about that paragraph? I know, but I was just introducing these two raiders that are about to come in to Ishbosheth's bedroom and kill him. What the heck is that doing right there in the middle of that story? Okay, when that happens, stop and take notice. There is a reason, okay? So we're about to find out that now the, the great leader, Abner, is dead, leaving Ishbosheth. Okay? These two guys now, in this weakness, who are with the tribe of Benjamin, by the way, are going to go, which is that weird? That they're going to go in and take Ishbosheth out? Does that not make you understand that something Abner said when he was campaigning? makes them think that, listen, this guy is going to absolutely destroy us. He's weak. Abner told us we needed to be with David, and he's promised us some things, and we're going to stick with that. We're going to take him out ourselves, right? So you have this whole scene. But why in the world would it talk about Mephibosheth right in the middle? Because if the heir of Saul Ishbosheth is in danger, we just found out about another heir. And that heir is the son of Jonathan. And we found out that when they heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle, what did they assume? 
exactly what I told you, that any king coming in is going to come find the family of the king who was there and kill them. So the nurse grabs him up and runs. And when she does, she falls, he's injured and he's lame in his feet. And so we're introduced to him because later he's going to come back on the scene, but he's in trouble too. He's going to be in danger and David's going to come to the rescue. Okay. So we find out in this chapter, let me see how much time I have. Okay. We find out in this chapter now in verse five, that these two guys set out for the house of Ishbosheth and they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was taking his noonday rest. Now, I have so much sass to talk about that, but they did take afternoon naps, okay? Nothing wrong with a good afternoon nap. It was hot. He was probably up on a terrace, um, either windows open. Most of the time it was on the roof, but to me, he has a lot to get done here. So I have a hard time thinking he needs to take a long nap. He's got a new commander to find. I mean, he's got a lot to do. It just makes me keep thinking that Ishbosheth needs to get with the program, but whatever. They went, that's probably not biblical at all. So don't write that in pen. <laughs> write that in pencil in your head. They went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat. So they basically made up a story. And they convinced the guys, we're just going to come in here because we need to get something. They go in and then it says... Um, and they stabbed him in the stomach, and then they slipped away. Wow. They had gone into the house while he was lying on the bed of his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head, taking it with them. They traveled all night by the way of Araba. They brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, I'm sorry, it just makes me laugh. Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, against Saul and his offspring. And David answered and said, As surely as the Lord lives, who, by the way, has delivered me out of every trouble when someone told me. So let me tell you what's happening. David keeps getting heads. I mean, honestly, like he earned just proof of death. Aren't people going to learn? So they take this head to David and then they say to David, we have saved you. We have done God's work because we have saved you because he was planning on killing you. He was taking a stinking nap. He wasn't planning nothing. Abner's dead. His place is a hot mess. He probably couldn't organize a raid to save his life right now. They killed this innocent man while he was unarmed. They found a moment where they could take this guy out, use his head to weasel their way into a position of power in the kingdom of David. And trust me, David's seen this before. And he said, by the way, the Lord, he's gotten me out of all my trouble. <laughs> Do you think I need y'all? No. I hid from Saul. I barely made it out with my life. I've been in more situations than you can count. Do not come in here thinking that you've been the hand of God to save me. I know exactly who you are. I have been fooled by people like you before. His name was Doeg. And because I didn't pay attention to Doeg, 
85 priests and their entire families got slain. But you should have heard about the Amalekite messenger who thought he had something great to tell me when he comes and tells me about the death of Saul and Jonathan, thinking he's the hero and he's just going to slide on into my kingdom, handing me the crown. You should have talked to him. Oh, you can't talk to him. I killed him. That's why he was executed. And guess what? You're about to be too. Do not come in here thinking you're going to weasel your way in and you're going to slaughter a son of Saul in cold blood, an innocent, unarmed man. Boy, you came in the wrong place. He has no idea. They had no idea. He wasn't an enemy of Saul. Even now, he had made a covenant with Jonathan about the family of Saul. And he's like, no, no, you're not coming in here. And what David did is he made it very clear again to the people, no, this is not how I'm going to run things. This is not what my kingdom is. And he shows his leadership and his ability to see. He has wisdom to see through people. I think one good takeaway from this since I'm done and it's been a lot of narrative, but it's helpful right? You get to understand the story. You need to understand the background and culture of David when we get to the stories you're familiar, David and Bathsheba and all the other stuff. But here's the thing. David was very wise about not letting the foxes, the little foxes get in. Do you understand that? He was very wise of who he allowed into his inner circle. And he, he, he learned the hard way. But he knew that, hey, these are not my people. They cannot be trusted. They're getting in to whisper and to cause trouble. And it just makes me think how often we need to protect ourselves. And it may not be a person. It might be people. There are friends that are trouble. And you have to know who they are. They're the ones who are always pulling you away from the Lord or whispering little things or sticking their fingers in your wounds or whatever that is, you have to be careful of them. But I don't just think it's people because we have an enemy who loves to trip us up with little things. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, right? And especially when events, tough events of pain happen in our lives, when we're vulnerable, that's when he likes to slip in a little lie. And then you don't even know that lie is there, but yet you live based on it. And I would challenge you that a lot of your anxieties and fears, which I understand, you need to figure out what, what, what am I feeling? What am I afraid of? What is my fear? Because the minute you figure out your fear, I bet you, you can back it up to a lie, you know, because love, true love sitting in God casts out all fear. There's some lie there that you're believing and you have to replace that with the truth. There are little things you need to watch out for because I don't want to make a choice out of need. That's dumb. That is dumb because how often do we continue to make the same mistake again out of need? There's a stupid poem. I can't remember where she's walking down the street and she goes, oh, I was walking down the street and I fall in this deep hole. And man, it was painful. Like I was in there a long time. It took me a long time to get out of that stinking hole. And I finally get out of the hole and I'm walking down that same street. And I'm pretty sure I see the same hole. And I fall in. And it's my fault. No, and, and I, do, I, 
I see it, but I act like I don't see it. You know, and then I fall in, it takes me a while to get out. And then it keeps talking about I'm walking down that same street. And this time I stink and see the hole. See it. And I fall in. And it takes me a while to climb out, right? And then she finally gets to the point in this point where it says, I'm walking down this same street and I see the hole and I walk around it. And then you think she's done. But the best part is at the end it says, I walk down a different street. <laughs> right? How smart is that? So there are times, that's just my story. I don't know where you are and what your challenges are or where your temptations are or what all is, but it's the little things that get you because we see the big things usually. It's the little stuff. So guard yourself, guard your heart and, uh, you know, surround yourself by people who go, ah, that's probably not real good for you um, and help you. And that, and so I think that's one good takeaway because David had eyes to see those little spies that wanted to come in and that could have caused trouble. How did he learn that? He learned it because he messed up. That's how we learn everything, <laughs> right? So let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for my girlfriends and I thank you so much that we can be in the Bible and love it and understand it that we can learn through the stories of these people thousands of years ago because we're not very different. And God, you're the same. You just love us. You have a plan. And I'm telling you what, you're going to get that plan done. You got redemption done and you'll get glorification done. I can't wait. That is the light at the end of the tunnel. But Lord, I pray that you would be exactly what you say, a friend that sticks closer than a brother as we walk through it. Guard our hearts. Guard our minds. Boy, that's where the majority of the battle is. And so, God, I pray that we would really watch for those little things that trip us up, to keep us strong and focused on you. Because, Lord, whether I feel it sometimes or not, I'm going to hang on for dear life that you are enough. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.